I believe God's got a word for us this morning. I'm going to skip my intro. I was talking about Easter coming up. You know, one thing I do want to mention, do you remember Easter egg hunts? What was always in the eggs? Treasures, right? Treasures. Guess what we're going to talk about today? We're going to talk about treasures. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. And we have bigger treasures right now. We have toys. We have expensive stuff. Uh, some of us, we work hard to save, to obtain these treasures. And these treasures become important to us. And, you know, when we go on vacation, we like to bring treasures back. And, I mean, all of this. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us about storing our treasures and how we should do that. We say, well, what does that got to do with, let me tell you something. God's been moving here. God's going to be giving us more and more, and it's going to depend on what we do with that to determine if he's going to give us more. Do you see what I'm saying? How are we, are we going to be good stewards with what God is giving us, what God is placing in us? But if you go to the book of Matthew, and this is the last passage, this is the um, last passage from the Sermon on the Mount that we are going to talk about the rest of this series. However, it would benefit you to finish reading Jesus' sermon that goes through chapter 7. So let me just encourage you, if you've not been reading, this is what I'm talking about. When you take this spirit of revival, read God's Word. Study for yourself. Find out what God is speaking to you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to talk to you. We have to open up ourselves and be receptive to what He wants to say to us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, and it says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves, what? Treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, look what it says, there your heart will be also. See, do you, do you get the theme of what we've been talking about these last several weeks? There's a heart in this. Jesus is hitting it home. I mean, he's talking to his disciples, and he's telling them, hey, look, you got to get your heart right. What happens when you get your heart right? Everything else follows the heart. When we have our heart right, when we have our hope, focused on where we're supposed to do and where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to say and who we're supposed to be when we get that heart right everything else will fall into place verse 22 the eye is the lamp of the body if your eyes are healthy then what your whole body will be full of light but if your eyes are unhealthy your whole body will be full of darkness if then the light within you is darkness how great is that darkness? And I love verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Can I just begin by saying this? Having money is not evil. You can have money. It's okay. Money's neutral. Money doesn't do anything. There's, there's nothing about money that's going to make you do one thing or the other. And did you know that you can actually love money and not have any? 
It's true. And money is not having, uh, it's, uh, having money is, uh, is not evil, but if you love money or anything else that you might be put before God, then it becomes evil. You start to worship it. You depend on it. And that is when the, that is when the intent of your heart becomes evil. There's three things I want to talk to you this morning that Jesus is teaching us from our text. Three things that Jesus is instructing us to do. The first thing he's telling us in this text is you've got to keep your heart pure. Keep your heart pure. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where are you investing your treasure? We should ask this question. Am I generous? You know what generosity is? Generosity is becoming an unselfish person. That's what generosity is. And can I say that generosity doesn't just affect money. Hear me? Generosity doesn't just affect money. It's not just about money. Being a generous person means that I give of myself. I give of my time. I give of the talents that God has given me. I give of the abilities that God has placed upon me. I give of myself. It's a heart thing. That's what it is. It's a heart thing. We decide in our heart that we're going to be generous, whether it's by financial means, whether it's by physical means, whatever it is, I'm going to be generous. That means I'm going to be generous to my family. I'm going to be generous to those around me. I'm going to be generous to the people in the church. I'm going to be generous to people outside the church. I'm going to give of myself and do what God has called me to do and be who God has called me to be. Generosity is love in action. That's what generosity is. And if I am not a generous person, then I am not a loving person. Do you hear me? Is love an important word? Do you believe that love's an important word? I believe it is. Matter of fact, the word love is so important that it's mentioned 714 times in the Bible. That's a lot, isn't it? The word believe, that's important too, don't you think? It's mentioned 272 times in the Bible. That's pretty important. The word pray. Don't y'all think prayer is important? Yes. That word is mentioned 371 times in the Bible. And I believe that all of us would agree that these are some of the most important words. They're very important to the believer. And But what about the word give? Is that an important word? Do you believe that give is an important word? I believe it is. I, it, it is to God. And let me show you why. The word give is mentioned 2,000 times. 152 times in the Bible. That's three times as many as the word love. Why do you think that is? Why do you think the word give is so important? Here's why. I believe it's because God is a giver. Amen? God is a giver. What does the Bible say? He says that he what? He gave his only begotten son. God gave more than any of us ever did, right? He gave everything that he had. He essentially gave himself to us. He sent him to this earth to come in man form and die on a cross so that we, you and I, could have eternal life. I'm telling you, there ain't been no greater gift, no greater sacrifice than what God did. Amen? Because he's a giver. 
Did you know that in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, a sixth, one-sixth of those books deal with our relationship with money? And here in our text, Jesus is telling us to keep your heart pure. And how do we do that? How do we do that? He says, he tells us, don't store up your treasures on earth, but store up your treasures in heaven. In other words, use your money now to send ahead to he- in heaven. Do kingdom work today with your money. That's what he's telling us. By investing your treasures in God's kingdom here on earth, you are sending it on ahead. Have any of you ever heard of Humphrey Monmouth? Anybody? Anybody? You have? I got one. That's good. You got two. So, yeah, everybody's like, who is this guy? Well, I'm going to tell you. Have any of you ever heard of William Tyndale? Yeah, yeah. Some of y'all are like, yeah, I know William Tyndale. He's, he's the guy that you've heard the Tyndale Publishing. Okay? So William Tyndale, he pioneered the translation of the scriptures into English from their original languages of Greek and Hebrew. But now here's the thing. Here's, here's the kicker. If it wasn't for Humphrey Monmouth, Monmouth, I'm sure I said that wrong. William Tyndale doesn't translate the Bible as we know it. Humphrey Monmouth was a wealthy businessman who financially supported Tyndale as he translated the Bible. And look at all the lives that the Bible that you and I read, look at all the lives that it has touched over the years, and it wouldn't have been possible if it weren't for Monmouth. You know why? Because it was illegal. It was illegal to translate the Bible. Matter of fact, uh, Tyndale lost his life for doing it. Think about it. And if it wasn't for Humphrey Monmouth to do this, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have happened. If you look in Paul's writing, you'll notice a name that is mentioned there, Phoebe. You ever remember reading somewhere in the, in in one of uh, Paul's letters? Phoebe is is this person's name, and it's believed that she helped to support Paul in his missionary journeys. I mean, can you imagine if someone said, hey? Any of y'all want to help Paul? Uh, any of y'all want to support Paul in his journeys? I mean, can, I mean, people will be lined up, are they not? I mean, think about it. We look at it now. We see all of this. I mean, he paved the way for our missionaries. I mean, Paul started this. You know, he started, got all this started, and some of the disciples got this going and and doing these things. But he had support. Also, if you notice that when Luke writes the book of Luke and Acts, he's writing to a guy named Theophilus. Y'all remember that? At the very, like the first verse of uh, Luke chapter 1 or, or the first verse of, of Acts chapter 1, it is believed that Theophilus helped support Luke's ministry. The gospel could not be spread if it weren't for these people that did what? They stored up their treasures in heaven. They invested in kingdom work. Now understand, when I say invested, I'm not just talking about money. Sure, these are examples of money. But we can invest what? Other things too, right? It's giving of ourselves. It's laying ourselves down and saying, God, I want to have, I'm surrendering my life to you. And I'm saying, here I am, use me, Lord. Here I am, use me. One of my favorite verses when I was called to ministry, even before I was called to ministry, I used to read all the time, was Isaiah chapter 6. Where God's asking, who's going to go? Who's going to stand? And what does Isaiah step up and say? Here I am. Send me. Here am I. Send me. That's what I want my prayer to be, God. 
wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to say, whatever you want me to do, here am I, send me. It's a heart thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you, do you get that this morning? It's a heart deal. Giving is a heart deal. It's all about saying, God, what is it you want me to do? A man by the name of J. Paul Getty, he was an old billionaire, he said this about money. Money is a lot like manure. <laughs> if you stack it up, it stinks. If you spread it around, it makes things grow. That's pretty good, isn't it? Where are you investing your treasures? That is where your heart is. Are you focused on things that will give you pleasure now but will fade away? Or are you focused on things that will give you pleasure now and pleasure in heaven? You know, I'm making plans for the future. And I, and, I, and I want to invest in what God is doing. Amen. That's a pure heart. That is a pure heart that God's asking us to do. Is we are just opening up the treasures and we're saying, God, whatever it is you want me to do, here's my heart, Lord. Use me. God, I, I may not have a fortune, but I'll, but I'll give whatever you want me to give. God, I may not have a lot of talents, but I'll use them however you want me to use them, Lord. Lord, I may not have the ability to speak. I mean, think about Moses. I mean, he's sitting there stuttering. Uh, God, 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 you know, how can you use me? And look at what Moses did. He went and drove all the people out of Egypt. That's a lot of people to try to keep up with. You know, he didn't have necessarily all the abilities. And we think that, man, there's no way that God can use me. But here's the thing that you don't understand. It doesn't matter what talents you think you have or you don't have. It's all about the heart. Amen. It's about your heart, and are you willing to say, God, I want to be used? The next thing that he says is keep your eyes clear. Keep your eyes clear. Look at Matthew 6, 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, for those of you that don't know, I did something that I haven't done in 30 years this semester. I went back to school. And I made a choice to go back, get my degree. And one of the classes that I'm taking this semester is psychology. Anybody ever taken psychology? Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> and one of our units of study focuses on the eye and the different parts of the eye. Have you ever thought about the eye and how intricate it is and how... I mean, it's very, it's, it's a, it's, even though it uh, seems very complicated, it's a very simple process. Um, but it's very fascinating, and it's a fascinating part of the Bible. If you look in a mirror and you can see your eyeball, you know, uh, you'll see the cornea. The light, it's focused into the eye through the cornea, and behind the interior chamber is the eye's iris, and that's the colored part of the eye. And the dark hole in the middle of the eye is the pupil. Muscles in the iris dilate and or constrict the pupil to control the amount of light reaching the back of the eye. And directly behind the pupil sits the lens. The lens focuses light toward the back of the eye. The lens changes shape to help the eye focus on objects up close. This is pretty fascinating. And by helping to focus light as it enters the eye, the cornea, and the lens both play important roles in giving us clear vision. 
In fact, 70% of the eye's focusing power, it comes from the cornea and 30% from the lens. Now, you say, why did you say all that? I want you to understand, I know it sounds like there's a lot of parts to the eye. And yes, there is, and there's even more. I even skipped some because I didn't want to sit there, and I may have already bored some of you. I was fascinated studying this. Light that is focused into the eye by the cornea and lens, it passes through the the, the vitreous onto the retina. The retina has special cells called photoreceptors, and these cells change light into energy that's transmitted to the brain. The retina then sends light as electrical impulses through the optic nerve to the brain. The optic nerve is made up of millions of nerve fibers that transmits these impulses to the visual cortex, the part of the brain responsible for our sight. Now, I know some of you are saying, that's a lot. Bear with me. As you can see, the way we see life and everything around us is a very elaborate process. And Jesus is informing you, the people, about our natural sight and comparing it to our life. The eyes is what allows light into the body. Think of the process that it takes to go through all those parts, to register to the brain that you're seeing to come back. That's how we see the world. And Jesus is saying, keep your eyes clear. Why? Because it's an important part of the body. And this is how we see. Our eyes is what distinguishes the color. We need to have our vision clear. Verse 23, Jesus says, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So the question Jesus is asking you today is how clearly do you see? Not physically see, but is there anything blocking your spiritual window? Has anybody ever had dirty glass on your, on your um, car? You know what I'm talking about? Where the sun hits it and you're like, man, I can't see. I need to clean that thing. You're like, that's nasty. It makes a difference once you clean it, don't it? Isn't it amazing how, oh, my goodness, look at this. Or how about your uh, windows? Anybody ever wash your windows at home? Some of you are like, I do every once in a while. Not very often, but I do every once in a while. It does not make a difference when you wash those windows and how you can see clearly out those windows. So what he's asking us in a spiritual sense is how well do you see? Have you cleared up your vision? Are you cleaning up your vision? Are you seeing what I'm wanting you to see? Are you looking at what I'm wanting you to see? The Pharisees of Jesus' day, they believed that money was good. I mean, they thought it was great. And if somebody was poor, then that meant that they were sinning. That's what they thought. Do you know that materialism can blind us? It can make us focus on things that just aren't that important. Too many times we lose our focus on the right things. Do you hear me? Now, how many of you have heard um, Helen Keller? Have you ever heard of Helen Keller? Okay. At 19 months old, about um, after a bout with illness, she lost her sight and her hearing. And with the help of Ann Sullivan, she learned how to read and write. A man told Helen Keller, I think it's terrible you were born blind. She replied, this is what Helen Keller said, better to be born blind and to see with your heart than to have two eyes and see nothing. Pretty powerful, isn't it? You know, the quickest way for us to clear our focus is to be generous. When you let generosity take over your life, 
you will begin to see things in a much different light. We take the focus off ourselves and we begin to focus on what really matters. Building God's kingdom and not our own. I don't want to build a kingdom here on this earth. There's There's nothing here on this earth that I want. I want to place my treasures in heaven. I want to build, uh, I want to help you so that we can all be in heaven someday. Amen? I want us to build a kingdom, help help do whatever we can to help build God's kingdom. Matthew chapter 6, or the the third thing, keep your hands strong. Everybody look at your hands. You do a lot with those, don't you? We, We do everything. I mean, everything, we, we, our hands control everything. Opening books, opening doors, opening, you know. Have you ever heard a hand and weren't able to use it? It's difficult, isn't it? Last uh, Sunday when we went down to Hope Campus. By the way, Hope Campus, is, it's awesome what we're doing. It, if you've not been, you need to go, okay? Here's part of being generous, all right? I'm just going to put it out to you right now. This is your pastor telling you, you need to go, okay? Take one Sunday throughout sometime this year, and go and serve the people in our community. It's not about us. Do you hear me? Generosity is not about us. It's about other people. And the people in our community need to experience it. Need to experience your generous heart. Okay? So anyway, so I'm sitting there, and David had just told me, hey, that hot, that pan's hot. I just burnt my finger, and we started doing something. And I said, here, use this. Dummy me reaches over there and grabs the pan that he just said was hot, and I pushed it over, and I burnt my finger. Can I tell you that it hurt? <laughs> it didn't feel good. You know, I got three blisters from that. You know, it was like, man, it was hot. It, was, it hurt. <laughs> so your hands are important, right? And so this is what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us to keep our hands strong. Keep your hands strong. Look at what he says, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In some translations, that says mammon. Mammon is just the Aramaic word for money. There's also, I've gone into a whole thing before, I'm not going to get into it today. There's also something about mammon that's a, it's a spirit. There's a spirit that you cannot have, but basically you can associate that part of it with the world. You cannot serve both God and the world. That's basically what he's telling us. And during Jesus' time, slavery was common in Rome. It was. It was very common. A master was in complete control of his servant. They understood what a master-slave relationship was. So when Jesus made this analogy, they understood what he was saying completely. For the most part, during New Testament times, Slaves were treated more like servants, and the institution of slavery, it was starting to decline at this time. So they truly understood this analogy. And I want to tell you something right now, and I want you to grasp this. If you don't grasp anything else today, I want you to get this. Materialism is a very cruel master. Do you hear me? And it can enslave your heart. It can take over your mind, and it can control your will if you allow it to. So who do you serve? Are you dependent on money? Do you trust in it to survive? Or do you give it to God and place your complete and total trust in Him? Why would we say, well, Jesus, I trust you. But then we put a tight fist on our finances and we claim it as ours. The truth is everything we have belongs to God. 
1 Corinthians 10, 26 says, For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Haggai, or Haggai, however you want to say it, chapter 2, verse 8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Everything's His. We own nothing. Everything you have and yourself, they belong to the Lord. You know why? Because you were bought with a price. There was a big price that was paid for you. Huge price. You're not your own person. God paid a dear price for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, and I want to read this from the Amplified Bible. It says, you were bought with a price, purchased with a preciousness, and paid for, made his own. So then honor God and bring glory to him in your body. Now understand this. There is nothing wrong with owning things. It's okay to own stuff. I own stuff. I have three cars. I have a house. I have a bunch of other stuff in my house. I got more stuff than I need. By the way, if you have more stuff than you need, we're having a yard sale for our kids to go to camp. You're more than welcome to bring that anytime you get ready to get rid of some stuff. The question is, who owns you? Who owns you? The average church member gives between 1.5% and 2% of their income. And here's something to think about. During the Great Depression, the average church member gave 3.3% of their income. We give less today than they gave during the Great Depression. God asked us to give 10%, but 10%, it doesn't belong, uh, or it doesn't belong to, uh, it doesn't, the, not, the 10% doesn't just belong to God. All of it belongs to God. He just says, hey, I'm going to give you 90% back to do whatever you, whatever you need to do to live your life. And we take more, or if we take more than what he allows us to have, we're robbing God. Malachi says this, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You see, tithing is the only place in Scripture where God tells us to test Him. No other place are we allowed to test God except in our tithes and offerings. Look at what he says in verse 10 of Malachi 3. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to and some of you may be thinking, if all of it is God's, then why don't he just take it? And my answer to you is God is a generous God. All he asks of you is to be good stewards with what he's given you. So before you do anything with it, give back to him what he asked for first. And that is how you allow God to be the master of your life. God is giving all of us a chance to pass the test that's placed before us every single day. And do I honor God with my first fruits, or do or do I all by all myself um, um, allow myself to be mastered by money? Who is your master? Someone is going to own you. Will it be God, or will it be Mammon? And you get to make that choice. Why do we place such a high value on money as a nation? Why do we allow the desire for money to be a main factor in our life decisions and our priorities? Why do we place our trust and our faith in it? And some of you, some of you will tell, um, I don't do that. I don't, some of you may not know, but I don't. I don't do that. Uh, if you give to the electric company, 
before giving your tithes, you're asking your electric company to bless the rest. But God says, give me the first fruits first, and I will bless the rest. I would rather God bless than OG&E, amen? And so why do we depend so much on money and expect it to guarantee our future? And why do we desire it more than we desire God's plans and His purposes for our lives? We see it all around us, don't we? We may even see it taking uh, precedent in our life. Greed, the accumulation of wealth, we allow those things to dominate our mind and life so that honoring God is no longer the main priority in a person's life. It's a heart issue, guys. It's all about a heart issue. It's not about, well, I don't know if I'll have enough to finish out the rest of the week. I'm going close by, by, uh, to close today by showing you how Jesus followed this text up. Look at this. It's, it's unbelievable. So he ends. So our text ends at verse 24. Look at verse 25, and I want to read the rest of this. And I want you to see where he's going at with this, okay? He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus is telling us this, okay? What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And then he goes on and he gives us a couple of analogies. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Listen close to verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then what does he say? And then all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I want to say this as I close today. God loves you. He really does. God loves you more than you ever thought. He cares for you so much. He wants what's best for you. Now, do our bad decisions sometimes get in the way of God's love? Our bad decisions don't necessarily get in the way of God's love, but our bad decisions can create problems for us later in life. God didn't do that. God doesn't do, he doesn't do evil on us. He doesn't bring evil on us. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants so much better for us. And so why do you think that Jesus said all of this after he just talked about money? I believe that he was assuring the people that God had their back. That's what I believe. God takes care of all our needs. We just need to be obedient and put and must put our faith and our trust in him to supply those needs. Seek first the kingdom of God. I want more of God, amen? I want a hunger for him. I want to thirst for Him. I want Him in my life. I want Him guiding my life. I want Him directing my life. I want Him paving out the road, paving out the path that I have to go in.
there's a spirit of revival, amen? And what a spirit of revival is, that is where we are surrendering our lives, saying, God, we need you more than ever. And it's a heart thing. It's a heart issue, guys. Giving is not whether or not I've got it in my checkbook or not. Giving is a heart thing. God, what am I going to do first? What am I going to do first? I'm going to surrender it to you. I'm going to place this into your hands and saying, God, please bless me. Whatever you need me to do, whatever you need me to have, it's a heart issue. It all starts in the heart. Worrying about stuff, it starts in the heart. Everything that we have, everything that we don't have, it's all about God. God, I want to surrender to you. I want to lay my life to you. Everything that I have is yours. And I come before you today. Can we pray? Let's stand. Oh, Father, we love you. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray for a spirit of generosity to flow throughout this place. God, we have to step out in faith and believe that you have our best interest in mind. And God, I don't know what it is. If there's, if there's some of us that, whether it's money that you want us to start giving, whether it's our time that you want us to start giving, our talents that you want us to start giving, whoever we are, whatever we do, whatever we say, whoever you want us to be, whatever it is, God, help us to be generous. Generous for you. We give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, God has been amazing today, amen. You can be seated. I'm sorry. And the God is just so good today. He's, he's come in. Don't let this stop. Amen. I want to go ahead. I want to give our missionary a chance uh, to speak to you um, for a moment. And uh, his name is Jonathan Ennis. Okay, I thought that's what it was. I want to make sure I said it right. But I'm going to give him a chance to share where he's going and what he's doing. Amen. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Pastor, for this opportunity. Thank you, everyone, for being so friendly and generous as we've been here. Uh, my name is Jonathan Ennis. Uh, my wife, Amber, cannot be here today. She's a teacher, and even though they're supposed to have tomorrow off, uh, one of those wonderful teacher work days. So uh, we live all the way across the state, so she, she wasn't able to be here with us today. We do have a two-year-old son named Joshua, but he stayed home with mom uh, this weekend. And so uh, we are missionaries to the country of Guinea in uh in March of last year, when uh, my wife and I left pastoring, uh, we, had, we had pastored for, I'd, I'd pastored for 10 years, uh, and then she, uh, we'd been married for five years uh, with that, so she, she joined me after, as I was a single pastor. And when we left pastoring, uh, we were following where we believed God had called us, and we were headed to the country of South Africa. To be missionaries. We went on our first trip to South Africa in December. And in December, uh, while we are at a big meeting of all of these African missionaries, uh, we decided to have all, all the African missionaries in the Assemblies of God. We got in this one big meeting in South Africa in this conference center. There was about 400 of us in a room. And we're sitting there, and they decided to have a presentation of some countries that we have never had missionaries in. 
in Africa. And one of those countries is this little country of Guinea. About 13 million people live in Guinea. And uh, it was one of the first countries to declare independence from European powers in the 1950s. And it immediately became a communist country. It's a, it's a Muslim country. Uh, uh, over 92% of the people that live there are Muslim. And less than 1% of the population are evangelical Christians. Uh, we tried to have missionaries there for several years. In fact, uh, I have some close friends that were, uh, they were also pastoring in the States, and when they left pastoring, they had tried to go to Guinea in 2017, and, uh, and the government would not let them into the country. Well, praise God, in, uh, in June of this last year, there was a military overthrow of that country, and we'd had a small underground church full of uh, immigrant African pastors from other countries that they had, they had had a small underground church and after this military overthrow, the Lord put a Pentecostal preacher's kid in as the head of state for the country of Guinea. And he completely opened the country to the gospel. And, and so now we have all these Assemblies of God pastors that had been sneaking in and started an underground church. In 2017, they had seven churches. And right now, uh, as, of, as of this last week, they have almost 200 churches as of last week because they have been sharing the gospel in great ways. When, when they presented this, uh, Pastor, I, I, I'm pretty good with the generosity thing. I'm, 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 that's just something that's never been an issue with me. I, I, my parents, my first birthday, I had to tithe my birthday money you know that before i could talk i was tithing and and uh gave to bgmc you know carried that buddy barrel everywhere you know raised money for bgmc when i was in kids church when i uh thousands of dollars as a teenager to speed the light uh, uh over a thousand dollars every year when i was in high school uh would give to speed the light when i when i graduated high school i started supporting uh missionaries month on a monthly basis personally and i've done that all my adult life and so when they presented this, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, well, I can give some money to that. And I start, you know, having this, this argument with God of, okay, how much money do I have to give you for you to stop laying this burden on my heart? And I'm, my, my number keeps going up and up and up. And, and so I'm finally thinking, I, I, had, I had a pretty big number that I was like, okay, if I give this, then God will, God will quit telling me I need to go there right now. And uh, when they finished showing this video that they had about Guinea, and I'm sitting here thinking about that, they had a, one of the missionaries that had gone and talked with these other African missionaries that were, uh, that were planning these churches. And he said, you know, their, their leader of their group, he specifically said, please don't send me money. I need you to send me people. And, you know, the Lord sometimes really just gets a hold of you with that. And it messed us up. We had our plans all set. We were following God to South Africa. There's this great work that needs to be done there. But an opportunity came, and we have to say yes. The only way I can explain this is like how Paul got a vision from a man in Macedonia saying, come and share with us. The gospel has widely opened in this place, and they have over 200 churches, but they've got less than 70 pastors. And so my wife and I, we are going to go and we are going to start a pastoral training center and we're going to help them learn how to plant more churches and we're going to train up pastors. And we pray that a revival continues to break out in this country 
you know, uh, my, my wife and I, we both grew up as missionary kids uh, in the country of Africa. In, in the, I grew up in, uh, in Nigeria, which is one of the countries in Africa. Uh, my wife actually grew up in the country next to Guinea in Ivory Coast. And uh, in West Africa, there is a people group called the Fulani. And they are a nomadic people group. They, they herd cows, and they go all over West Africa. They really don't care about border crossings, whatever. They just ignore any sort of laws. But uh, in, in 2008, uh, I had a kidnapping attempt on my life when I was 13 years old because my parents were planting churches amongst the Fulani. And, uh, and they, they attempted to kidnap me when I was, uh, when I was 13 years old. A year later, they killed my dad's best friend, who was one of the local pastors in Nigeria. And, uh, and it was because of the work that they had done trying to reach these Muslim people for Jesus. About, about 10 years after that fact, when I got married to my wife, the pastor that performed our wedding was one of less than 200 Fulani believers in the, in the world. The homeland of the Fulani, where they all live and base out of, is the country of Guinea. That has been closed to the gospel for years. And God has opened up a door for two people who, in our lives, our childhood, we were harmed by these people. But we get to go and we get to say there is a Jesus that brings peace and hope and healing and generosity. And your pastor preached about being generous. I, I, I love generosity and and. It's no secret that missionaries, we need money to do what we're doing. We need, we need people to be like Phoebe that, that will help us do what's going on, uh, what, what God's called us to do. But more importantly, I need some people that will be like Titus and Timothy and Aquila and Priscilla, and they're not just going to give their money. I need some people to go with me. And I believe that God is raising up people wherever we go this next year and there will be people that will follow us. If that, if you have felt a call of God and you don't know exactly where it is, but you think maybe it's about missions, I have these little circle QR codes on my table in the back. They, they'll send you to a website called IWantToBeAMissionary.com. It's really easy. And, and it would help you through that process. Uh, I've got prayer cards, my cell phone number's on those, and, and I would love to walk with you through that process because the mission of God is not just for myself, otherwise it'd never get done. The mission of God is not just for your pastor, for this city, because otherwise it'd never get done. And part of generosity is not just giving our money, it's giving ourself and our time. Thank you so much. We want to help, and so definitely, I know we can pray, and also if you want to support financially, uh, he'll be out there after uh, service, and then, um, so thank you for, I mean, I want to finish up this morning. I want to, uh, a couple things that I need to to remind you of, and then we're going to take up our offering. Um, first of all, there's men's retreat. It's April 21st, 22nd. 
cost is $85. If you'd like to go, you can see me, or you can go to our webpage and register uh, online for this event. Also, um, if, if your kid's going to camp, uh, that is, that is uh, you need to let us know next week, and so, uh, so we can start that process. If, it, if, uh, if you've attended church here or elsewhere for any length of time, you know we'll receive an offering at some point during the service. Uh, of course, spoiler alert, now's the time. Uh, but however, have you ever stopped to consider why? Why should we give? After all, the money that's in your bank account is money you worked hard to earn. So why shouldn't you use all of it for your own benefit? Consider this, and as we've talked about this, is that money really yours? Did you create the talent, knowledge, and skills needed to earn a paycheck? Did you make sure your heart was beating each day so you could go to work? Probably not. But while you certainly have a big role to play in earning a living, God is the one who provides us with the ability to work. And that's one reason to give. It's giving back to God something He provided for us in the first place. So how about this? How do you know what someone values? What they spend their time and money on, right? If a total stranger were to see your schedule or bank statement, what would that person say you value most? Would it be your family, your vehicles, the latest tech gadget? Or would they see that you prioritize your relationship with and one way we put God first is by honoring Him with our dollars. Giving is an act of worship. And by offering something that requires your time and talent to earn, it's a reminder to yourself that God deserves to be first, not us. Amen? And giving helps us to set aside our selfish tendencies and prefer others instead. No matter the amount you're giving today, remember that God is part of how we worship. That is how, part of how we worship God by preferring Him over ourselves. Let's pray this morning. God, we just come to You this morning. We thank You. We thank You for just moving in this place in a mighty way. Lord, I pray that each and every person that leaves this place today, God, they take something with them. That they would go into their neighborhoods. They would go into their homes and their families. God, they would go to their workplaces. And they would let their light shine. They would be the salt of the earth as you called us to be. And God, that they would 